0: It's Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of that 401k podcast. This week's topic: we're going to talk about the choices you make as a retirement plan provider. As you know, as always, we talk about our live events. Go to that 41 ksitecom for the information. May the tenth, I believe that's a Tuesday, Phoenix, Arizona, Chase Field, that 401k conference. Still working on the details of the guest, um, and then of course June 24th, that is a Friday. Uh, Miami, Miami Marlins, uh, Lone Depot Park, Miami, Florida, uh, both events. There'll be a select, uh, number of game tickets for that night. Uh, I believe on May the 10th, it'll be against the Marlins. The Diamondbacks take on the Marlins. And then on the June 24th, the Marlins take on the New York Mets. Uh, September, we'll discuss later as to how many events we'll have and where we're located. And in October, we're going to be in Charlotte, and uh, we are working our schedule. I'm also in talks in uh, possibly a, a New York metro area event in November, so I don't have to travel. We'll see what happens. Go to that foreignkeysite.com for further information. Sign up. 100 bucks gets you in. Five hours of content, including lunch, stadium tour, meet and greet, all that kind of stuff. So uh, hope you could be a part of it. Now, on to our topic. Um, I've said it 50 million times probably by now. One of my favorite movies of all time is Caddyshack. Uh, it's always funny. It, 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 I can't speak for anybody else, but my favorite things are usually, you know, revolve around things that I liked as a kid. You know, uh, your favorite pizza joint is going to be what you grew up as a kid. So I don't care what New Yorkers say that the Farrah's pizza's the best. Um, and, and I think it's overrated. Uh, Original's Pizza on Avenue L is still going to be my favorite pizza. Even, and now the one on Ralph Avenue is actually even better than the one on Avenue L because they have, uh, big Z D pizza that they don't have on the one on Avenue L. There's like a, there was a, a break, the partners split up. Original's Pizza 1 and Avenue L have a similar menu, but they don't have as many toppings and all that kind of stuff. Original Pizza 2 on Ralph Avenue, um, To me, now, I think, is surpassing that. But Caddyshack, um, I came out in 1980. Uh, As a kid in Brooklyn, we didn't have cable TV. We had HBO, which it was... I don't know how they put it on, but you had, like, a little box on the back of the TV, kind of like you did with the Atari or the Intellivision, and you just switched it over, and you get to watch HBO. And I remember, I think it was the summer of 81... When Caddyshack came on, I mean, if you watch the movie now, I don't know if you, you know, would let a nine-year-old watch the movie, but I was hooked. And over the years, you know, I've I've seen it a million times, definitely to me a top five movie, uh, I want to think. And, you know, one of the things that always gets to me now is the relationship between Al Chervik, played by Ronnie Dangerfield, and Judge Smales, played by Ted Knight. And when I talk about my situation at that old law firm, I always think that I'm Al Chervik, and that the managing attorney was Judge Smells, 'cause because Lois just didn't like me from the day one. And, you know, I, I can offend people, and I have, because I'm a little too honest with things, uh, kind of like the Larry David uh, method. And I understand why people don't like me, but her, I don't understand why she didn't like me from day one. I have my suspicions, um, but I'd rather keep those to myself. Uh, but uh, Judge Smales, the interaction Judge Smalls, Al Chervik was just fantastic. I think Judge Smales, the ten night character, is probably the un- most underrated character in the movie because I think that you know his, you know smugness, you know elitism, aloofness. I mean, there's just so many. Funny, you know, lines that he does in the movie. And, um, in the movie, he has uh, Lacey this his niece from New York. And she has a little, you know, she has some loose morals. And Danny Noonan, played by Michael O'Keefe, um, played the caddy. And uh, Judge smells uh, catches Michael O'Keefe, uh, the Danny, Noonan, Danny Noonan, in bed with Lacey. And goes a little hysterical. Uh, and then, of course, he calls Danny into the club into an office the next day and um, you know he tells Danny that he sent boys younger than Danny to the gas chamber because he felt he owed it to him. Uh, and then he says to Danny, the most important decision you can make right now is what do you stand for Danny? goodness or badness and of course Danny says goodness and uh, you know uh, we you know I, I, I think that when it comes to being a retirement plan provider, I think they're choices you have to make. they're always choices in life. And, you know, there's certain people who choose bad things. And I don't know if they started from the beginning to choose bad things or just they just, you know, made decisions, made moral decisions. We have in my village, um, and I'm always very critical of it, where we have a, a group that is supposed to be a charitable organization that all their members control the school district. Now, it wouldn't be a problem if the school district was run correctly. It's not. It's being run horribly. And the members of this club get jobs from the school district or the school board members, kids get jobs through the school district. And, you know, I'm the type of guy who, you know, never liked revenue sharing because I just always thought it was a kickback. I wanted to stand for something. Uh, There are attorneys um, who are offered um, through some programs by brokerage houses of, of, of a percentage of their, of the assets that the broker, you know, gets. I, I've always been, you know, over the last 12 years in start my own practice, um, you know, there was an issue, um, you know, w- in, in terms of, you know, I, I think that if you're getting money as an attorney, I don't think you could get money, uh, you know, as a paid solicitor, I just think that's disingenuous. And I think that that's from the get-go. You know, what do you stand for as a retirement plan provider? Start even if starting out, or if you've been in the business a while, and you have to decide for yourself. And when I started my practice in 2010, I really was very disillusioned with working at that law firm, Long Island's. Um, I just had a call uh, yesterday from the uh, recruiter who got me that job. And he said, uh, oh, we have some law firms in Long Island. They may want to talk to you. You know, uh, you know, know. And I said to him, I, I served time in that prison. I, I don't want to go back. And then, of course, he told me that he really was in prison, the literal prison, and I was talking about a figure of prison. So that kind of phone call was a little uneasy. I didn't ask him what he was in prison for. Um, my proverbial prison was working, you know, at, at that law firm and in 2010, when I kind of knew that my time was going to be up because of my lack of billing, I, I just knew that my time was up. I didn't feel that I had the support to succeed. I, I didn't succeed. And I, I, I decided at, at a, a certain point that if it was going to come to an end, that I was done being a law firm associate. I was I was almost 40. Um, 37 or whatever it was, and I just felt that I was becoming a little too old to be a law firm associate. I just I just could no longer bounce around. And for the two-year period, um, you know, starting, I, I was already at three different jobs. So, you know, it, it just becomes a problem on the resume. And then at a certain point, you're making too much money as an associate, and they can no longer afford you. And so uh, I was told by a, a networking friend to uh, talk to another law firm, and that law firm's managing attorney said that if I could bring in $400,000 worth of business, then they could pay me that $150,000 salary that I was, you know, I think I was making or was it making $155 or whatever it was. And I decided, you know, if I give them $400,000 worth of business and they're giving me a buck fifty, a buck fifty five, uh, why would I need a law firm to do that? If I could bring in four hundred thousand dollars worth of business, which I've never have, um, I realized that I could do it on my own. Why, like if I if I could bring in two hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of business, why did I need them? I could, you know, work on a shoestring, and and work from home, and and just bank that money instead of just you know putting it in in, in the law firm's fancy offices and the workers that don't bring any billing. Uh, and I always thought that. The mid-sized law firm is probably the worst run business um, because it's predicated on billing. And, uh, you know, I, uh, that, 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 that situation at myers Swazi, those two years, I, I just, I was just burnt out. It was just, everything was like based on billing hours. It wasn't about the quality of the work. It was about billing hours. And I still contend and people will disagree with me. I think that when you have the opportunity to bill by the hour, people will fudge numbers. They will fudge their hours. How do I know this? Uh, Years ago, um, I had a TPA client who stiffed me on a big bill, 40 grand, and I hired a a local law firm in Atlanta to go after them. And I'll never forget getting a bill. And uh, I had previously told this law firm associate, I said, you know, this is how you can get money. You know, they get payments from Empower, they get payments from um, MetLife or or whatever it is, not MetLife, I'm sorry, Nationwide. Um, You can attach a lien to that money after you get the judgment. And I told him that. And then all of a sudden, like a month or so later, I see a bill for 45 minutes of him sitting, figuring out how we can get, how I can get paid. Um, you know, 45 minutes at a law firm or associate charging 300 bucks. Uh, That's a lot of money for really doing nothing. And do I really believe that he sat and thought about it for 45 minutes? No, he sat about it for five minutes and just had to fudge numbers at the end of the month. And again, so I looked at my time as a law firm associate. I hated the billable hour. So I decided to, um, you know, deal with, you know, um, flat fee billing. Uh, the only times that I charge the hour is the audit because, you know, there's a IRS deal audit. You don't know where it's going to lead. Um, I liked it because I, I did it for, you know, almost 10 years working as a TPA attorney. Um, and I think the clients appreciate it. The idea, uh, people will know up front how much it's going to cost them. There's no sticker shock. You're not going to get that bill of 45 minutes of the associate thinking how much, you know, how you're going to get paid and all that kind of crap. And um, I went with that. And, um, you know, I knew how much, uh, you know, the kind of nut that I needed to pay my mortgage. And, uh, you know, clients appreciate it because there was cost certainty involved. And that's why to this day I still do it. And uh, I also decided that I was going to develop relationships with plan providers around the country by providing free content of articles they could use for their marketing purposes, and you know, providing free question, free, uh, free advice for a simple question without a bill. Uh, you know, it's to me that's that's the, the to me a, a fan of the show Survivor, rubbing two sticks together to make fire. Um, the articles and helping advisors out with simple questions was me in my eyes rubbing two sticks together. Um, and then that developed relationships because I knew from my time working with my good buddy Rich Lorita that, you know, relationship it means everything in the retirement plan business. Uh, and I, I think it's important for any plant provider to understand what do they stand for. You know, how are they gonna differentiate themselves from other plant providers? I went with the flat fee billing um uh, I want to stand out in the marketplace. I think a plan provider needs to understand how do they stand out in the marketplace. And they also got to be like Danny Noonan. They have to choose goodness. Uh, And there are plan providers that will stand out for badness. You know, the people that think that they're entitled to uh, additional fees on uh, the last 5,500 they're going to complete after they got terminated, even though they got paid for it. Most retirement plan providers are professional. Yet there are a few providers who, you know, think we're in high school and treat their clients and plan providers with absolute disdain. And the retirement plan business is a business that's, you know, built on trust. And the trust is placed on us by our clients and the plan providers that referred to us business. And, you know, if you operate a plan provider, you know, practice that abuses that trust, uh, you know, you may you may make a couple bucks over the long haul, but people will eventually know, and when they know, it's it's sudden, and it's something that you can never recover from. And I think that the choice really is yours, and I'm sure that you know a long time. You know, I'm sure I'm sure that most of you have chosen to be good, and you did it a long time ago. But there are people out there. You know, coming out of the business, don't understand that you have choices. And one of my favorite words in the Yiddish language, which is really a Jewish version, Eastern European Jewish version of, of, of uh, German with a little Polish, a little Hebrew, and now a little English in there. One of my favorite words in Yiddish is mensch, and mensch means a person of integrity and honor. If you're a mensch, you're going to get a lot farther in this business than if you're a gunf, which is Yiddish for Thief. Next, the most precious precious asset you may not realize, uh, and uh, it's employees. And the reason I don't have employees is because I was an employee once too. Uh, I didn't feel appreciated as an employee. Um, I don't know if it was the lack of money or the benefits or seeing inferior coworkers have more of a say in the running of the business. But I just never found myself to be you know, I never found this situation to be satisfying. You know, Some birds aren't meant to be caged, and some people aren't meant to be employees. And, of course, I stole that line from the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, I think for most plant providers, I, I think the most precious, plant, most precious asset out there is their employees. A the good chunk of the time, the folks running these plant provider businesses don't realize that. I see a lot when a small plant provider is or medium sized providers bought out and slowly but surely the reason you went to this provider is gone since their top employees have exited stage right. I just, you know, there's a long Island TPA used to refer to their business business. They were, they were, you know, costlier, but their uh, dedication to detail and professionalism was the highest. They got bought out a couple years ago and slowly but surely the employees that you liked left and, I don't even know who's left there anymore. And, uh, you know, it's an unfortunate part of the business, you know. And I work at a TPA that we got bought out. And I got, you know, an earful from one of the bosses of that TPA when we got bought out. I suggested in the lunchroom that when a company is bought out, that uh, change is inevitable. And, uh, of course, I got ratted out. Uh, with just, it's an innocuous statement. I mean, any company that's bought out, there's going to be change. It's just reality. But uh, the problem with the consolidation of the retirement plan business is good workers um, are let go. But, you know, the fact is, is that there aren't that many good workers anyway. Uh, The problem is, is that a lot of plan providers out there give their employees very little training. I've worked at TPAs like that. We, you know, I worked at one TPA in Long Island, we recruited it out of my alma mater, Stony Brook, gave these people positions, gave them absolutely no training, and if you get absolutely no training, you never catch up. Because I've worked with, uh, I've worked with administrators who have 15, 20 years experience, and because they never got the proper training in the beginning, they were always terrible, no matter the experience. Uh... I mean, the point of having well-trained employees is that, you know, it, it goes a long way in maintaining clients as well, providing, you know, competent plan advice uh, and, and service. A bad administrator or poor support staff uh, can, you know, certainly help uh, you lose clients a lot easier. Um, and, you know, the problem with, you know, finding good employees is keeping them. And I, I think that a huge turn of employees is a bad look to show your clients uh, and the employees that remain who they, you know, they, they who they think they might be on a sinking ship, turnover, you know, in my opinion, wastes a lot of time and money when you have to hire new employees. Uh, I worked at one TPA where I joked uh, our front door should have been a revolving door because there was so much turnover. Um, and the fact is, is good employees uh, are happy uh, when they work uh, and, and they rarely leave. And, you know, maybe it's pay, benefits, or, or, or other type of rewards. You know, employees want to feel appreciated. That's just, you know, that's how it is. I worked for one TPA, and um, the one that I suggested Ralph and, Doran, you know, uh, while I was told I was doing a good job all year long, all of a sudden I heard what a terrible employee I was when it was time for my annual review. And that's grading. That is that's grading that's narcissism. Um, I have a strong allergy to narcissists, narcissists, and you know it's also p- passive aggressive behavior, which narcissists are known to do. And it, it's it wears on you. You know you're told how great you are all year long, and then when it comes time for your interview, now you, you're sudden you hear that you're just you know crap. And I think that when in, dealing with employees, having empathy goes a long way. Um, you certainly need to view things from, you know, the employees' view. Uh, telling employee uh, that you had no issue traveling in the snow uh, is, to me, really irrelevant. Because if you're the owner, you're obviously going to have more dedication to, you know, the business than employees who uh, get a paycheck. Uh, that's just common sense. Uh, it's important to treat employees like they're important. And that goes a really a long way towards keeping them. Being ahead of the cur- last but not least, being ahead of the curve or being behind it. Um, Paul Heyman is a professional wrestling manager. He was also a promoter for ECW. Uh, a friend of mine on Facebook, we've interacted a little bit over the years. His mother uh, was a Holocaust survivor, so you know that we have that together. My grand- grandmother was a Holocaust survivor from a uh, Hungarian Holocaust survivor. So was my grandfather. But he had a great quote. Experience is the greatest inhibitor of creativity and innovation because you learn from experience what not to do. But but it is the unbridled passion and the fearlessness to just go into something with reckless abandon that always allows you to create something from nothing that allows you to innovate. I've always been a forward thinker who likes to predict the future. You know, I did think that the Apple Store was a bad idea. I also thought Amazon selling something other than books and DVDs and music was terrible. But I do have a, a pretty good track record predicting things in the future. I am surrounded, you know, unfortunately, I was always the forward thinker and I worked for companies that were not, and that was not fun. Um, you know, it, it could have been the producing TPA that didn't think f- fee disclosure would be a thing and that it would clamp down on revenue sharing, or it was that law firm that didn't see that social media would be a way to hire, get hired as an attorney. I, you know, and, and also even, you know, working as the vice president of a synagogue who just thought it was still 1978 you know, in terms of recruitment. Success and experience can be a double-edged sword because they can create a false sense of security. Uh, and, you know, the idea that the good times will last forever. At that producing TPA, I told one plan administrator that revenue sharing as a method to defray plan expenses would eventually come to an end. And he thought I was crazy. Uh, we see from history that certain providers can't deal with change. And how many insurance companies do we know that exited the retirement plan business before, right before and certainly after the fee disclosure regulation regulation implementations 2012? Uh, there are quite a few plan providers who promoted free transparency before it came down the pike. And those are the plan providers that were gonna thrive. As a retirement plan provider, I think you need to identify what the trends are and how they will impact your business. Um, look at the Department of Labor clamping down on missing participants. Uh, you know, I know already company plan notices that is dealing with plan notices to, you know, the foreign participants, and I think that's a business that I think could take off. Um, sitting back and and twiddling your thumbs just isn't going to work. And I'm always reminded by the Poseidon adventure. Um, There's always in a disaster movie that one naysayer who says, don't worry, everything's going to be okay, and that person eventually dies. And I don't care if it's the Poseidon adventure, I don't care if it's the Towering Inferno. Richard Chamberlain played the, I think it was the architect who shaved corners. Uh, There was the James Franciscus character when time ran out. There's always that one naysayer. And the Poseidon Adventure, the big niece here was the bursar. The, 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 the boat flips over, and he told all the passengers to stay in the ballroom for help after the ship overturned. And, uh, you know, uh, Reverend Scott, Reverend Scott, played by Gene Hackman, was saying, That makes no sense. We're, we, we, you know, up top is where we have to go, which is the bottom of the ship. And of course, the burser tells everybody to stay. I'm the burser. You, you know, we're gonna wait here. The captain is gonna, you know, bring help. And you know, Reverend Scott says the captain's below us. He's dead. And the is like, you don't know that for sure. And of course, thanks to the burser, about a thousand thousands of people die, needlessly. And when you have a chance to live, and that goes back to that scene with Reverend Scott and uh, the other minister played by. Arthur O'Connell where, you know, I I love that scene where Arthur O'Connell's like I I think we're going to die here and Reverend Scott says life's up there why why don't this make any sense and when you have a chance to live and to thrive you take it and you do that by identifying a moving landscape as this business is never stagnant it always changes and if you sit there and do nothing you're going to die. And when you have a chance of life and a chance of thriving, you take it. And that's my sermon of the week. Uh, go to that4rkseg.com for information on all our live events. And I hope you tune in to next week's episode of That 4 K Podcast. Bye.